0: Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement.
3: It's a total disrespect.
0: Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport.
3: Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I'm Jim White and today myself and Simon discussed the new Premier League TV deal worth £6.7 billion. Is the bubble in danger of bursting? We were joined on the show by Sheffield United owner Prince Abdullah after the sacking of Paul Heckenbottom and the reappointment of Chris Wilder. Plus, former Newcastle and West Ham midfielder Kieran Dyer joined us in studio to discuss his career and overcoming his recent serious health issues. This is Outspoken with White and Jordan. The Premier League Simon, has reinforced its position as the richest domestic league in the world, at least until the end of the decade. After announcing a new domestic TV deal package with Sky Sports, with TNT Sports, and the BBC, worth 6.7 billion pounds over four years, from 25-29, mm. you look at it now. Changed days since you were at the top of the house at Palace, of isn't course, it? Yeah. Scale uh, has. Has the Premier League TV money now finally maxed out? Is there much more room now for any further growth?
4: Domestically, I mean, let's hope the Saudis don't buy Sky, although, otherwise they will have control of English football. Um, it, domestically, yes, of course, and it has been for some time. I mean, there's only so many... They, they can, you know, This is a great model that's built Sky's business. Rupert Murdoch, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, bet the house on Sky, and so it's played out for him. And the sports media rights have been the big thing that have driven... This tra- distraction. The fact it's gone to a four-year deal, the fact that they're doing it, effectively locking up the distributions for the next six years, you know, you wonder if that's a play to make sure that they negate some of the concerns the independent regulator might come along and have their two penny in because it's locked up for the next six years and the broadcast deals are done. Um, as far as domestic rights, because that, that, that landscape has, has, has been well mined. It's not the domestic rights where the growth is, it's the overseas rights. And that's why it was scandalous that Scudamore, when his his passing little gift, left a little uh, hand grenade in the mix, which was basically a distribution of the overseas rights in favour of the big six clubs, with a different mechanism, with a different coefficient. But, of course, I I find it difficult to understand how the Premier League is spinning this as a 4% growth on domestic rights. It can't be a 4% growth. If you've got 5.1 billion as your current deal, which is £1.7 billion per year, you then extrapolate that up to a four-year deal, you should be talking about £7.1 billion to be a 4% increase. You don't, you have a 6.7, you actually have a decrease in the domestic rights if you do it on a pro-rata basis. So is the bubble deflating domestically? Well, yeah, well again, I, I say the point, you, they've tapped out on domestic. We're a country of 50 million people. There's a con- There's continents around the world that are buying our product that have uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions. So the deal now is... Is one point seven billion per season um, from the um, from the from the domestic deals, yeah, and s- circle one point seven billion from the overseas deals. And the next frontier is they're going to try and get two and three billion a season from overseas because why shouldn't they? They've got Australasia, they've got North America, they've got all of the continents you can think of that are available to them. The Far East, the Middle East, all of these deals are being done left, right, and center. So the domestic rights are not are not there. That's low hanging fruit. That's a gimme. The overseas rights are where they will take it up to the next level of 11, right. 12 billion every three or four year cycles. You've regularly spoken about
3: the Netflix of football. Yeah. So is it a surprise the top flight has shunned streaming giants for traditionalism, if you like? DAZN, Amazon, have not
4: secured any broadcasting rights from twenty twenty four. Well, I don't think that's... I mean, look, I think that the Amazons of the world have proven that they like sports and they've done. They've hung their hats on certain sports in America, like Monday, like Thursday Night Football and things of that nature that have been very successful for them because the former creative director of Amazon is a very good friend of mine. So they talk about these things. It's disappointing. It will not be a good thing for the tech giants, as we describe them, to have no input into sports because you give yourself no opportunities to leverage the skies of the world or to create a landscape where you've got competitive jeopardy. Clearly, they don't like the price point. Clearly, the fact that they came in last time. Look at the last time that they came in. They bought the domestic rights at the last knockings. Nobody wanted the the Boxing Day packages in the fact that all the games were being broadcast on one day. Amazon came along and nicked it. So this time round, they possibly couldn't, so it wasn't offered to them. The Sky business, I mean, the biggest beneficiaries of this deal are undoubtedly the broadcasters. Undoubtedly. Sky have gone up to 215 games now. Hmm. And so for that, they've paid less money per game, as already been described by others on other shows. So from their point of view, the economic return against their advertising revenue, against their subscription model... Is going to play out very nicely for them. They've got like a 25% reduction, 30% reduction in their cost per game. Right. How much longer can the Saturday
3: 3 o'clock in the afternoon blackout survive?
4: Why should it? Why does it need to? The only demand for the 3 o'clock blackout was because it was put on years and years ago because it protected lesser clubs from the, the impacts of attendances diminishing as a result of the 3 o'clock black off. What's blackout.
3: Well, it's going to survive for the next foreseeable future with but, this new deal
4: but why should it I don't think it needs to No, I mean the, the argument is that women's football needs to have a slot well women's football needs to earn its place to have a slot when it's got the domestic broadcast deals that are worthy of having those slots then they'll get it mm. um, the lower league clubs they can make an argument about the attendances well with, with great respect that's not bearing out as we see at this moment in time I know that they'll say well, if you take away the three o'clock um, um, window that you create there's no such thing as better than live why do you think all the rock bands are going out on concert, or, or, or tours? Of course, because of the digital rights now have, co- have compromised their album sales. But primarily, live is live. And sports is alive and kicking from an attendance point of view. Yeah. It's becoming recession-proof. It's becoming... We live in a country where all we listen to is cost of living crisis, but we don't seem to find that manifesting itself no. in football stadiums, no. do we? Uh, if, if, if
3: we've now hit the ceiling, Simon... In terms domestic, of, uh, of um, this particular deal,
4: what does the TV deal after this one look like? The domestic deal, there are two deals there's domestic deals and there's overseas deals. The domestic deal is now at its level. Hmm. It's been at five billion for the last two cycles. This is the third cycle it's been at five billion. So now you're saying to yourself, that's the ceiling. I mean, the sky aren't lacking profitability, by the way, but that's the ceiling. The next deal, the next set of deals to supplement what's going on and to underpin the finances of football are the overseas deals.
3: Yeah, and that's know, where the
4: gold is, you say? Well, that's where it's been for some time. But what will they want in return? They'll want more in return, Well, they? if you look at them, you know, that's the argument. This is the terrible conundrum that British football fans have to watch, which is that they will pay £70 a month to watch on Sky, whereas an Australian viewer, because of the broadcast packages that they buy, can watch the same Premier League games for a tenner a month because of the cost implications of what they're buying. But if you look at the amount of territories that they're selling into, the North Americas, the Australasians, the Middle Easterns, the Far Easterns, and every continent you can think of has a as a, as a commercial deal, and those deals are going to be ratcheted because the engagement level and the interest. So what I expect to see yeah. is the overseas deals, for the first time, eclipse the domestic deals. What you've had over the years is is the domestic deals, and all of a sudden overseas deals would have run to the litter, and it began to tilt and tilt and tilt, and then and Scudamore leaves and talks about the dynamic of leaving um, uh, more revenue in it because the big six were always suggesting. The only reason we, um, uh, the Premier League, gets the money that it gets is because of us. Yeah. And so we want more of it. So Scudamore gives a little bit more of the overseas deals, which will come back and have a sting in its tail. I expect the overseas deals to be $6 So that the overall package goes yeah. to eleven and twelve billion every three years. That's where the real money is. That's
3: where the gold is. Well, that's, that's why that's presumably, Sam. I mean, the growth is. You might change your opinion in that there will
4: sooner or later be a Premier League game overseas. I don't think. I don't think there's a necessity for that. But the that's re- where the money is. That's where the big door is. But the, but the, the, but there's no need to take the travel. The, the, the NFL travels because it's particularly based in the North Americas. So it's trying to grow marketplaces around the world. Soccer is the world's game. You don't need to introduce the Premier League to these spaces and places. They already know it exists. Could it help? Does it help? Does it need to be done? I think if you start taking it on tour, you diminish the core product. Mm. The core product is a rip-roaring success. Does that mean you stand on your laurels? No. My, 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 My idea has always been you own the content. Why in God's name would you give the content to middlemen? you own it. The reasons why Netflix built their business the way that they did is because they didn't have any content. Yeah.
3: The places are awash with money. We're agreed on that. The, cl- the clubs will be awash with money. Players will get richer. Hopefully not. Agents will get richer.
4: Well, hopefully not. Hopefully there'll be more governance. There's no need for the players to get richer. They're, too, they're far... They're paid too much as it is. But and the, and the reality of it is is that there should be some controls in place. And there should be some controls in place so that football clubs are run sustainably. They don't need individuals to come in and supplement or make them survive. Capital expenditure is one thing. And keeping a f- football club alive is another. Um, and you'd like to think that there's going to be governance. That's the one thing I hope the independent regulator, when it comes in, does. Yeah. Which is interesting that David Bernstein talked about it in a different capacity the other day about the fact it could be in for a temporary period of time. I'd be for that. And if, they, if you put wage controls in place, then football clubs become sustainable entities that you don't worry about the Glazers. You don't worry about Simon Jordan owning a football club. You don't worry about Tony Bloom owning a football club and how much he's prepared to back it for mm. and how will that go on in perpetuity. You don't worry about Roman Abramovich. You don't worry about these guys. You worry about, actually, the commercial minds that are running the football club and deploying the finances okay. because the businesses can sustain themselves.
0: The world's most dangerous download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport
3: a big day if you are a Sheffield United fan, because Sheffield United having their woes, Simon, uh, finding life very difficult in the the top flight since they returned, and now, seemingly, they've decided at the top of the club to make a change. Uh, Paul Heckenbottom gone, and uh, it will be confirmed around lunchtime that Chris Wilder returns. So, a Sheffield United press conference scheduled for around 1.30 today, uh, as the the club itself, the team itself, prepares to take on Liverpool tomorrow night. Uh, Heckenbottom sacked, uh, life has been tough, as I said, and now the widely expected announcement of Chris Wilder returning to the football club. Earlier, we spoke exclusively to Sheffield United's owner, Prince Abdullah, and I began asking him how difficult the decision had been to part company with Heckenbottom.
1: I really have great respect to Pod for everything about him. Very classy guy. I think he did, he did very well to the club the last two years. He's uh, a class act, but like I've been in the club like as a sole owner for five years. I think we changed one one manager, and that was Slav. So we we believe really in sticking with the, with the manager, supporting him, especially if he's a good one. But uh, I said that after the last few games, uh, it, it was a necessary decision. And uh, I mean the replacement also like have done like great things to the club in the past. He knows the club, so I feel good about the decision in one way. But I really have a big uh, tremendous respect for paul
3: so so you confirm to me now that Chris Wilder will take over from Paul heckenbottom
1: yes, Chris is practically an owner of the club he's part of the club part of the club history. One thing uh, I always like to do not only in the club but in all other my in all my other businesses. I always like to keep good relationship with my ex employees no matter how the relationship ended i think uh, like no matter what happened, you should get over it. And at the end of the day, we are all passionate about what we do, and uh, we believe that the right man to the, for the job is is Chris. And as I said, I have mixed emotions. I'm really sad about letting Paul go, but he will always be my friend, and I hope we can work together in one way or the other. But uh, Chris also is, uh, you know, has done great things to the club, and he, uh, in my opinion. He is the best guy on planet Earth to take uh, the club right now in the circumstances. Did Chris Wilder say yes straight away to you? Yeah, I I, I had no doubt about that. I I knew that if I uh, were to call Chris now or 10 years and he can help the club, he will not hesitate. Uh, it's just that, you know, like I don't believe in changing managers. I don't believe in caving to pressure. Like if, you, if there is a hope uh, and you can like uh, not change, you should, you should uh, resist that. Especially when the manager is good. And Paul was really good. But it's just, I felt uh, there is no way to change the situation without change. And uh, it was if it wasn't necessary, would have not made it, trust me.
3: Are you going to give him the funds, Prince Abdullah, in January
1: to help him strengthen his squad? Everything we do is, is for the benefit of the club. We, we're not taking money out of the club. I mean, we, we will look at where are we in the table and what we can do. It's very early to talk about that. But uh, I assure you one thing. Us and Chris are on the same page when it comes to January and after January. We know what we have to do. We looked at all the scenarios. and We know that we've done mistakes in the past. We're not going to repeat them. And If we need to do anything at any time, we'll do it.
3: I would say to you that some fans think that Heckenbottom had an impossible job because the club sold key players in the summer. What would you say to that?
1: Yeah, I think he had a difficult job. No, 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 no doubt. But still, I think, I thought the performances should have been better. But uh, I I don't blame uh, Paul. I mean, uh, as I said, I, I feel that I'm always in debt to... And the club is in debt to, to Paul. So, But, uh, you know, I mean, I, look, I think if I was, as an owner, looking only at my interest, I would have not sold the two players because we were negotiating with more than one party to sell the club. And the club is worth much more being in the Premier League than if, uh, if it's relegated. And... Uh, we all knew that if we kept Eleman and uh, Berger, maybe we would have improved our chances of seeing the Premier League. And then I would have got a, a better price, and I would have made any negotiation much better. But I don't look at that. I look at the long interest of the club. I, uh, like, not only me. That's why I, I feel really very proud of the club. Because when, when it came to that decision, and the, with one year left at their contract, we looked at the long interest of the club. We did not look at only this year and said, who cares about the club next year, will will we'll, we'll probably not be here. Nobody thought that, not me, not any of the board. We always thought that we would do what's better for Sheffield United in the long run. And can't keep players and, uh, and lose them, the, the club a lot of money and those players, those players could be injured. They could have not made the difference. You, you never know. So you always, with every decision, if you are a good man and you're honest, you should always only think about the long interests of the club.
3: What message would you have for Sheffield United fans listening to us on
1: TalkSport together? Chris Wilder is back. I think, uh, you listen to Chris. Uh, Chris is very optimistic that we can save the season. He doesn't think it's easy, for sure, but he thinks it's still possible. And if you look at the table, uh, it's a very special year. It's a very weird year when it comes to the standing. So it's too early. I think, what, we played only 14 games uh, or or 13 games, 24 games to go. Like a lot of games to play. So the players uh, also, and the fans will see that too that uh, the season is still uh, long and we, we, wish we have every chance to achieve our goals.
3: So there's still an air of optimism, Simon, certainly with the owner of Sheffield United, Prince Abdullah, that the season can be saved. He says that Wilder is optimistic that they can still save their season. But it, takes me, it made me think, listening to him there, it made me think of Bill Foley, the Bournemouth owner, when he joined us from the US yeah. and said, look, this was a tough decision. It's not the most popular decision either. But I had to take it, so Gary O'Neill goes and in comes and donate Iriola He's kind of saying the same thing I like Bottom, like him a lot but, as he said there this situation we're in wasn't going to change
4: without change Yeah, but one was needed one necessarily wasn't You've got a team that's floundering at the bottom of the league so when Foley makes a decision at Bournemouth he's got a guy that's taken them out of the cart put them up the table and done a good job Heckenbottom gets currency because he did a good job in the Championship, but in the Premier League they're sitting bottom of the table, they've got to beat 8-5-5 they've had a couple of reasonable games in the middle of that patch, where I was told yesterday hang on a second, you know what we're talking about we had a player sent off and we got a lucky penalty against Wolves to get those results, so it was a much easier decision for him to make um, in terms of the comparison with Bill Foley, but and Bill Foley probably wobbled for a little bit afterwards when he's seen the first seven or eight games of Bournemouth, and now they're coming to coming to the to, to the surface. What I don't understand is the logic of what he's talking about selling his best players. I don't understand that. You're saying to back, me... Back to Burnley. Well, you're saying to me that you're selling your best player because you're better interested... Clearly, you want to stay in the Premier League. It's better to be in the Sheff, Sheffield to be in the Premier League. Probably better for him because he wants to sell the club because he can get a better return on it. But by the same token, you're selling your best players. And then he goes on to say but they only had a year left on their contract. So you couldn't sell them a new contract and they went to Burnley instead. So Burnley was more convincing than Sheffield United. Burnley a side that was promoted, the same as you. Burnley are sitting in a similar position to you, yet your best players, the ones that you paid 30 million quid for mm. when you bought them a few seasons earlier when mm. you were in the Premier League in the first instance, yeah, yeah, they felt that the opportunity to go to Burnley was bigger than the opportunity being at Sheffield United. Isn't that the owner's job? To say, oh yes, he's only got one year left on his contract. Well, you let it get to one year, and you've been outsold by a football club that isn't bigger than you, that doesn't have bigger achievements than you, has the same risk profile as you of getting relegated. I would suggest that there were more ulterior motives in play, like they wanted the money. What do you? What do you? What's your
3: take on the faith that he's obviously placing on Chris Wilder when he says there's no better person in the planet
4: to come into Sheffield United at this time than Wilder? Well, he's equipped to say that, isn't he? Because he's had him here before. Yeah. You know, if he's comfortable with the manner in which their relationship ended and has taken nothing from it, I mean, relationships don't tend to end well, otherwise they don't end, do they? Very rarely do we see an amicable split. And the instance of when he left last time round, you had an owner that was incredibly supportive of him and his reward for that was to have the disdain and outburst that Wilder gave him. He obviously doesn't feel anything about that, so he's brought him back. I think it's a clutching at straws. But he clearly thinks that Wilder, should they go down, is the best person to take them back up. Well, I think he's dealing with the here and now because he's given him an 18-month contract. Yeah, granted, that would mean he gets a season in the Championship to get them back up. And as a, pre- as a relegated side, one of the arguments that's constantly made is that the relegated sides often get much more advantage than the sides that are in there because of the, the buffer, yeah. the, the uh, parachute payments. We will see. I what, mean,
3: what's your take on
4: nothing changes if nothing changes? The, well, you can, they had to make the change to meet for change's change sake. Is just change, change to evolve to a better outcome. Clearly, it, the Sheffield United fans that we listened to yesterday were saying it was over for Paul Heckenbottom yeah. yeah, and that's not a difficult decision to make. If it's over for a manager, that's the easy part of the equation. It then becomes who do you replace him with? Any fool can fire a manager. It's not difficult. It's much more difficult to hire a manager if he believes that that Wilder. Coming back into Sheffield United as a pseudo-spiritual home will galvanise the fan base, galvanise the players, and get it going in the right direction. I assume he'll be giving him precisely what he wants, or we'll see more tantrums in January. Um, I'm assuming that equation has has been squared off. But look, Wilder, no doubt, irrespective of my distaste at his outlook, cannot be questioned about his performance at Sheffield United for a significant period of time. I thought he was a breath of fresh air when he came into the Premier League. That's why my disappointment towards his outlook of falling into the category of a typical manager and the moment they don't get what they want, they behave the way he did, uh, It's probably more heightened. But because they I might felt... benefit.
3: And maybe Wilder feels that well, he got something to, well, to well, give back.
4: Well, certainly... Well, certainly Be yours of them. Well, certainly... I, I'm, I doubt he thinks that. I, I, I certainly think that um, they didn't hire him to disadvantage the situation, did they? So I'm assuming that they think there's going to be a better outcome as a result of bringing him back in. Yeah. And, if he, and if he reverts to the fella that produced the Sheffield United side, that was ultimately successful for a period of time under his tenure, you give yourself a chance. Would I bet on Sheffield United staying up? Not particularly. If you look at Wilder's recent records in his last two jobs, has that been hugely impressive? Not particularly. You know, he's coming off the back of an outburst at Watford because he didn't like the players that he had there. We're coming off the back of a short tenure at Middlesbrough we got this elbow there. Um, and so he's back at Sheffield United. But you know what they say—that you know sometimes there's faces and spaces. Kirby was very successful at Charlton. Certain managers do very well. Thomas Frank's doing very well at Brentford. They don't translate well elsewhere. Sure. He may come back to Sheffield United. Everyone will clear the decks. Yeah. And they'll have a go. And I, I would—I wouldn't be surprised if they stay up. But I would be—it would be unexpected. Well, Prince Abdullah is saying there, Wilder's
3: a man, and it's his club apparently. Uh, He's—it's his he'll, club he'll, apparently. He'll rule that an observation. And he's optimistic that bringing Wilder in can help save their season. We shall see.
0: Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order.
4: That's quince.com slash upgrade.
0: Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport.
3: We are going to go a bit off script for the next hour. Because this fella, many people will remember, was one of the brightest, brightest young prospects in English football. When he came on the scene, everybody stopped and thought, what have we got here? And he really made a name for himself with his performances at Ipswich. Then I remember him, of course I do. I interviewed Sir Bobby Robson about him when he was up at Newcastle and then at West Ham. Top, top midfielder, and I'm talking about Kieran Dyer, who joined Simon and myself live in studio this lunchtime. First things first, we're going to get into this, Kieran, but it's a straightforward question. How are you?
2: Yep, doing really well. Um, I was just saying, back there, 12 weeks since I had the liver transplant, um, I'm ahead of schedule, feeling healthy, started swimming, I'm allowed to drive, I'm back in the gym, so I'm really, really, truly blessed. Um, well, that such is... Such a humbling experience.
3: That is such good news, because... I've got to admit to you, I was open mouthed when I heard what you have come through. Mm. So, um,. Take us back, and we'll talk football yeah. in the course of the next hour. We're going to talk about you and your relationship with Sir Bobby. We might talk about you in that moment with Lee Boyer. We'll talk yeah. about a bunch of things. Of course, yeah. of course, we will. I remember pitching up at a, 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 a boxing night. I think Floyd
2: Mayweather was in town. Yeah, I saw you, do, that, I saw he was, you down at Cannington. He, he was training at the Peacock Gym. Yeah, I remember um, that. I've, big I'm, Floyd fan. I've been to a lot of his fights, and I, Mr. Jordan, loves his boxing. Um, I, not sure he loves it as much as me, but yeah, mm-hmm. we can talk boxing if you like as well.
3: Well, that's great. Like the two of you, you both travelled the world. You went to all of Lennox Lewis's fights, Simon. Yeah. Uh, massive boxing fans, the two of you. So, Kieran, take me back. And as I say, we'll talk football when yeah. you're at Ipswich and Newcastle, West Ham later. But let's get to the nuts and bolts of this because this is serious, and you can impart a serious message as a result of what you've come through. Correct me if I'm wrong, Kieran. In 2021, it was announced publicly that you needed a liver transplant. You'd been diagnosed with uh, a serious liver complaint: um, primary sclerosing cholangitis.
2: Yeah, you, you pronounced that very well. I still did struggle it get to there, pronounce. Mate. Yeah. So, it, what happened, and how did it happen? So, in 2016, I initially found out that I had PSC. Um, but when I was speaking to the specialist at the time, because my blood's and everything and my symptoms were so good, the way I thought that I was going to have a, maybe I needed a liver transplant when I was 60, 70, um, that's what it felt like to me. So it was a shock, like you said, In I was with Ipswich under 23s. Um, I had real bad jaundice, yellow in my eyes. I wasn't feeling right. Um, I went for testing at the Ipswich uh, Hospital Um, They transferred me straight to Adam Brooks in Cambridge, where the the liver specialists are. I was in for 10 days of testing, um, and they said I would need a transplant within three to six months, um, which was a massive shock to obviously myself and my family. Worrying times. um, All credit to Adam Brooks, the way this, when you speak to the spec, they had a whole team. It's just like you talk about football and the the components of football at this hospital—they have consultants, they have dietitians, they have everyone—and they make you feel like it's like riding a bike for them. So you kind of look confident that yes, it's a, it's a major operation, but the way they spoke, it yeah. was like I am going to recover. Um, what was going through your head though at that moment when you were told the news of the, of that magnitude? Yeah, so it was a bit different to Ipswich. So when I went to Ipswich, um, I can remember I woke up about they wake you up really early. It was six o'clock in the morning and then the doctors do the rounds. So I'd only been in hospital for two days in Ipswich at the time. Um, And the lady came up to me, my my wife, none of my family members were there. It was first thing in the morning, doctors come and do the rounds. And she went, "Um, Kieran, um, just going from your bloods and your scans, um, you're going to need a liver transplant. And just said it that blunt. And she went, I know it's a lot for you to um, take in at the moment. I'll just give you time for your thoughts. And I was just like, I thought it was the end of my world i i didn't really know what a liver transplant entailed i just thought wow i could be dead here dying here so um obviously i rung my wife straight away and i was trying to keep strong for her and uh saying i needed it and she was like what the hell and she was getting frantic and i was like don't worry i'll be all right and da da da. so obviously now i was kind of like breaking but i was trying to be strong for her and then i rang up dj Spoonie. Jonathan Joseph, you might know him, DJ Spoony, is a close friend of mine, and I just broke down and was saying, wow, this could be the end of me and stuff. Um, he was telling me to be strong, mental, if you get your mentals right, then it's going to be, it's going to help you in the long run. Um, and then, like you said, when I went to Adam Brooks, um, I was scared, but after speaking to all the specialists and that, they put me at ease, and I was really confident and was my mental strength from then on was like, yes, it's a nightmare that it's going to happen, but it's going to benefit my life for my second part of my life, and, and, and so far,
3: touch with it, it looks like that. So then it was a, like, a nervous wait
2: for yeah. the donor. Yeah. So when you're on the when you're on the waiting list, and they said it was a three to six months, you can't go on holiday. You have to stay in an hour and a half radius of the. Of the of the hospital at all times because you can get the call at any time if you miss your call then you miss your donor so um literally i was still working for Ipswich under 23s. i couldn't go to the away games when i went out training someone would have to have my phone just in case the call rung and then three months went to six months six months went to a year and there was still no sign um and that was because my bloods was doing so well so, they suspended me on the list. So, I was still on the list, but I was suspended. So, I hadn't, so I could go on holiday. I could go outside the radius so I could have my life back in a way. Um, obviously, I took the job at Chesterfield because Paul Cook was the Ipswich Town manager. He asked me to come and help at Chesterfield, who were doing well in the National League. Um, we lost to Notts County in the final. I was doing really well. And then, when we did pre season, we went to Portugal. I don't know how Cookie got a budget from, for a National League to go to Portugal, but fair play to him. And um, when we are in Portugal, I started swelling everywhere. M- my ankles, my legs, my stomach. And I thought something's just not right here. How, how, yeah, I mean, noticeably. Yeah, noticeably. Even the players could sense. I thought maybe it was just the heat. Uh, I, I was confused by it. We We got back from Portugal, went to Chesterfield. And then... My test, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the word yeah, testicle, yeah, uh, yeah. Te- My testicles swelled the size of footballs And then I started to get really worried I was like I spoke to the club doctor at Chesterfield He said look we'll get the club doctor in tomorrow um, I went back uh, after training I went to sleep And I woke up at one o'clock in the morning And I had real pain down the side of where your liver is And I said nah something's not right um, And I got a taxi straight from Chesterfield Straight to Adam Brook's and I was admitted into hospital. I was there for three months waiting for a donor. You were there you waited in hospital yeah, for, for three, three months. months. Yeah. Um they said they didn't want me to leave the hospital because if I got an infection outside the hospital, if a liver came available, they wouldn't be able to operate on me. So they kept me in. Um because basically my liver had packed in. Uh, they did all the scans and that and said you basically your liver's packed in. So
3: Can when can, you, I, can I ask you in that yeah. three months? I mean, the clock was ticking. Your, mm. your clock literally was yeah. ticking. Did it cross your mind on a regular basis?
2: What if this donor doesn't materialise? Well, the way, when you're when you're on the waiting list, they have a kind of priority list. And because my liver was so impaired, I became a real priority. So I knew I was going to get a liver. Um, there were certain family members and friends who, when they came to see me in the hospital, because I was a shell of myself, um, I looked like a dying man. They thought that I weren't going to make it to the operation.
3: Did you feel like a dying man?
2: Yeah, uh, I had no energy. Uh, one of the symptoms are you can't stop scratching. I was literally clawing my clawing my skin to shreds. Um, like you said, I, t- I went as yellow as Bart Simpson. I lost so much weight. Um, I usually walk around at 73 kilos. I was down under 60 kilos at the time. It was It was really bad and... One of the stressful things is when you're in the hospital waiting is that you sometimes get false alarms. They'll, they'll say, um, get prepared to go into theatre. We found you a liver. They have to retrieve the liver. Um, that could be by helicopter. They have a team that goes and retrieve a liver. Um, they don't tell you where they're retrieving it from. It is all top secret. And I can remember the first time I got a false alarm, I waited 20 hours so they when they told me I was waiting 20 hours I kept saying to the nurses have they retrieved the liver yet have they retrieved the liver yet um they couldn't really answer the question um and then like you said after 20 hours um the surgeon come up to me and said um we've done checks on the liver and the liver's uh too big or the liver's too fatty um so I had a few false alarms which was wow. Yeah. so you're mentally preparing yourself like here we go you're trying to be mentally strong for the surgery to happen and then for them to say we haven't got a liver for you it was yeah it was it was crushing did you did, had had you
3: on numerous occasions prepared yourself for the
2: worst game? <laughs> there's always that th- that always crosses your mind so i spoke to my accountant uh, um about my will and stuff like that It was really like making sure my will is perfect if I wanted to tweak a few things so even though I was mentally positive I always had just in case I didn't make it to get that covered which was which was tough to do because like you said it's life and death and health is the most important thing ever and that's something I've realised
3: Let's get a a glass of water
2: each and we'll we'll carry
3: on, Simon to my right here no doubt we'll be be talking uh, about what happened in the end and Mm. thankfully Kieran the end of this story is the end of the story that we wanted for you Uh, Stay with us, Kieran Dyer with us in studio
0: Download, Stand Well Back Listen, Outspoken with White and Jordan From the world's biggest sports radio station Talk Sport.
3: Beside us, we have former Ipswich, Newcastle and West Ham midfielder. What a player this fellow was. Kieran Dyer, but who hit big health problems um, and uh, the the health problems he hit were of a a considerable nature. Um, Kieran suffered from a chronic liver condition um, which to many have no cure. We're delighted to say there's a happy ending to this story. Uh, Kieran in hospital waited months and months to be told that yes, we have a liver and we can do a transplant. And that before the break is where we left off the story. So Kieran, can you take it up for us again? Many people hanging on your every word this lunchtime, mm. because out there many people might have something of a similar yeah. health, uh, health problem, but crack on from where you, you left off.
2: Yeah, so usually when you get the, when you kind of get told that there could be a, uh, a liver for you is usually early hours of the morning. Um, I usually think that might be um, car crashes or murder by accidents. It, it sounds horrific, but the times I got the false alarms, it was always 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning where I'd get woken up and they'd say, look, um, we might be getting prepared to um, take you uh, into theatre. They start to do the nil, you can't have anything to eat or drink. So again, it was about 3 o'clock in the morning, but for some reason I thought, you know when you get a gut feeling i thought i think this is this is this is the time um so it got to about six o'clock in the morning and they stopped me eating and drinking straight away usually they let me have breakfast and stuff so i was like "Mm, they might have retrieved the liver now i'm checking it for tests and stuff and um then the surgeon came down and he said i'll see you in theater in three hours um just that simple that was um so you're mentally preparing yourself um my mum and wife were at the hospital at the time um you can see they were nervous my wife then went to see the um surgeon on her own and she was like are you confident and he's his words were to her every day i'm confident and that kind of put her mind at ease as well like the confidence that he was showing um and i can remember when they were wheeling me down to theater and my mum and wife obviously were holding either side of my hands and that was like goodbye and you're thinking hopefully it's not for the last time you're kind of thinking so um yeah and then they wheeled me off into theatre they were speaking to me and then do you remember how you were looking yeah i've got a picture on my phone to show you um this picture was taken two hours before the surgery uh so the picture on the left is me two hours before surgery and then that's me two days after surgery on the right oh gee Kieran, yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: So this this was you being taken to surgery. Yeah. So that was literally
2: when I've been told that I was now going down to theatre. And that and that was Kieran on the right post the op. Yeah, after the op, two days after the op, you can see the two days the colours come back in my skin.
3: I have to say, I'm not going to hold it up for everybody watching <laughs> on YouTube and Facebook, but take it from me, it is a remarkable, a remarkable transformation. You're looking much more like your old self, like. The Kieran Dyer I used to see running about the football pitch. How long was
2: it the operation? It was nine hours. Nine Um, hours. It was a a real long operation. And the donor of a similar age to you? Yeah, so they don't tell you much about the donor. Um, They just said um, the donor was a similar age. The liver was slightly bigger than mine. Um, And I had a Rolls-Royce of a liver because it had no fat, which I I was very blessed and lucky to have. Um, How do you feel? towards the donor? Yeah, um, I was talking off air and I was saying that it gives me great responsibility and it's like a burden that I have to do this This person. I've got to make him proud up there. got to do him justice because um, he's obviously died to save me. Um, I will be able to drink again in moderation because I wasn't an alcoholic, but I was, again, just telling you off air that I will never have a drink. Um, I'll do everything in my power to make just, sure this liver um, has the best chance of uh, giving me a long and healthy life. You wouldn't drink again out of respect to the yeah, donor? Yeah, out of respect just, to the donor. Even, like I said, if it's a birthday and I was to have a glass of red wine or Christmas, no, I just think that is um, all for my donor because I have to do him justice or, or how her. Did
3: you, how did you feel, or her? How did
2: you feel when you came out of theatre and you saw the family again? So when I came out of theatre the first day was the lowest I, I was I mentally crumbled um the pain was so severe that I asked them to end my life that I uh, I can't describe to you the feeling when I first woke up it was it was so crushing f- to my mum and my wife that they had to leave the hospital because obviously one you see me with I had a tube in my nose a tube in my mouth I had drains coming out of my neck two drains coming up my stomach, I had drains coming up my shins, and they could basically hear that I'd mentally broken, um, and it was so hard for them to um, to take. But again, all credit to the Brooks because when you come out from surgery, um, you're in critical condition. So you have a nurse who's with you 24-7, and through this nurse, um, by the following day, twenty-four hours later, when my wife and mum come back to the hospital, they were obviously fearing the worst. And as they were approaching the room, they see that I was actually sitting up, cup of tea in my hand, and I was flirting with the nurse. So they were like, "Oh, <laughs> he's back." <laughs> so, uh, honestly, how the tra- how the human body works. And again, like I said, I can't thank the NHS and the staff at the hospital because they pulled me through it. And um, they
3: literally got you through.
2: They got me. You through actually
3: it, yeah. asked. The yeah. medical people nah, that I'm not going to get through
2: this yeah. I want to end it yeah it was that I I say if if there is a heaven and a hell and they say when you go to heaven and you live in paradise and you go to hell and you it's like you're burning for a turn it felt like I was in hell that's probably the closest thing if there is a hell to be in it was just the pain was at one stage my wife said that the pain was so severe that I actually passed out and just knocked out because of the pain it was that bad um, How long are you out of hospital now? Today, sitting yeah, with Simon and myself literally. and everybody on TalkSport. Uh, so um, they had to open me up again a week after my original operation because uh, they thought that the artery might be blocked, which is a major concern of theirs. So um, I went into uh, surgery on the 18th of September. They reopened me up on the 25th of September, which was a Tuesday. Um, and then... I was out nine days later so i was out very quickly um it's 12 weeks to to, to today uh, when i had the operation as well so 12 if you weeks think today. about it 12 weeks and then you're up and you're doing thing again um it's very I, little time for you exactly. to be sitting here
3: like this I talking know. to us like this um, do you want to mention anybody by name i don't know ethically can you do that anybody nah, like a, i said i just, just can't the whole
2: team i just can't thank the nhs enough surgeons consultants dieticians they were because it was so humbling. i was so like i actually pooed myself numerous times where i was just so weak and stuff and they don't make you feel embarrassed it's just like that this is what happens to everyone and it was just such a humbling experience i always used to think i was public at enemy number one and the amount of love and that has been shown is like wow people do actually like me which was humbling as well
3: <laughs> you bet we like you yeah kieran well done um many messages coming in uh i'm going to get through as many as i can simon and i will talk uh, yep. more with you in the next half our remarkable story mm-hmm. of kieran and um you cannot be congratulated enough and praised enough for the bravery Thank you've you. shown it's brilliant that you're here yeah. with us today. Yeah, of course, yeah. Thanks for being with us.
0: The world's most dangerous download, Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport.
3: Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcast from. We'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show.